0: Hi, I'm Ed Black, an attorney at Ropes and & Gray, and I'm here to welcome everybody uh, to the latest edition of our R&G Tech Studio podcast series. In this edition, we get the opportunity to talk with my friend and my partner, Brad Flint. Uh, Brad is the head of uh, a superstar uh, partner in our venture and emerging companies practice. Brad, it's great to have you. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Ed. Glad to be here.
0: Now, I've got a bunch of questions about the venture and emerging company work, but before we go there, where are you based, Brad? Are you, are you West Coast? Are you East Coast? Where, 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 where do you live? What's life like for you as a venture attorney?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm based in Boston, where a lot of our VC and EC team sits, but I also spend a lot of time on the West Coast. We have offices in San Francisco, as well as Silicon Valley, And I travel out there quite frequently. We also have a lot of team members in the VCEC group out there as well. So I like to try to spend as much time as I can out there, Um, particularly since there's such a tech hub in the Bay Area. Always great to meet new clients and existing clients out there a number of times a year.
0: And you do work on both coasts?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we have a great base of clients both in Boston as well as the valley and in some in New York, you know, Chicago, other cities. We really have a national practice in the ECVC space with of course concentrations in the geographies where you'd expect the most startups to be, such as San Francisco area and in the Boston area.
0: Okay. And and uh, with with home base being Boston, do you live right in town or
1: I'm lucky enough to live right in town. It's a beautiful walk from my apartment in the South End to the Prudential nice. Tower, where Ropes and Gray is based. I grew up outside of Boston, so it's also my hometown, I might say, and, and certainly have enjoyed uh, living in the city for the past 10 years. Lovely. Well, it's,
0: it's, it's a gift to live in a place where you grew up. It's an absolute gift. It is. All right. Well, let me uh, shift gears to ask some questions about the, the VC emerging company stuff generally. The, the first question I just want to be very blunt about emerging company VC work at Ropes and Gray. Isn't Ropes and Gray some kind of like uh white shoe uh, institutional law firm, you know, if you're not a giant company, don't bother, uh, sort of a legal practice?
1: <laughs> well, it's a good question, Ed, and, and certainly we are much more than just a white shoe private equity focused firm. We're a very large global firm and have practices across many different areas. And we have a very healthy practice in the VCEC space. We represent a large number of emerging companies, as well as many investors that are focused on making investments in those emerging companies, all the way from angel investors, VCs, up to mutual fund investors that might be looking at crossover investments in emerging companies. Um, in public company, strategic investors as well. So in addition to working with many emerging companies in tech, life sciences, and other industries, we will frequently work with a number of investors in the space across the country and across the globe.
0: And again, I just, I just want to stick with the blunt question here a little bit. You know, when you think about the firms that are famous for venture capital investing, I'm not going to name them, but we all know who they are. Then They'll tell you that they have, you know, form books that they use to make it easy and efficient to get these startups going. They'll tell you that they have fee deals, that they have lean and mean staffing, all to support. Uh, And, uh, you know, does does Ropes & Gray support that kind of practice, which the venture community, you know, may see that it
1: needs? Oh, absolutely. You know, we have all those same form books, we have all the same methods in place to keep this work very efficient. We certainly understand that cash is very important to emerging company clients and certainly no more than needed should be spent on lawyers. But at the same time, we do view ourselves as more of a high touch option when it comes to emerging company and venture capital clients. You know, although we can keep it very efficient, leveraging things like standard documents, you will be getting partner level contact every time partners will be your primary point of contact we also have dedicated associate teams of course in this space but you know in addition to being able to do things efficiently i think we can efficiently offer that higher touch service than you might see with some firms that have much much larger practices in this space
0: well let me shift gears a little bit to talk specifically about tech trends in your practice i know of course VC, EC practice, it's focused on innovation week to week. What's innovative, what's new, that's always changing. But if you had to focus on one, two, maybe three, uh, you know, trends you're seeing in the startup community right now, where are you seeing innovations that are drawing investment dollars, drawing capital, and pushing companies forward?
1: Sure. Happy to talk a little bit about that, Ed. Uh, One certain trend that we see a lot of these days is a move towards more artificial intelligence applications, not both in historical tech, you know, core tech applications of AI, but also in other industries, including life sciences, for example, where companies are now using AI for drug discovery purposes. For example, one client that I work with regularly is Genesis Therapeutics. That's a company that's developing an AI-based drug discovery platform, uh, which includes artificial neural networks and machine learning models in order to isolate and pinpoint drug candidates for a variety of severe diseases, so a really interesting intersection between tech and life sciences focused on an application of artificial intelligence in that company. Um, We're also seeing data monetization being a real trending area, you might well, say. Well,
0: well, Brad, I want to jump in on that first question about uh, uh, that prominent genesis, and I'll, I'll, we'll come back to data monetization in just a second. But you know, one of the things that I, I read in the paper, I'm not as informed as you are about the venture community, but I see it in the news, is this issue of what they call convergence. That is where AI and tech are taking over businesses that used to think of themselves as being not tech. Uh, And when you look at the example you just gave, Genesis, here it is, uh, you know, drug discovery, which go back 15, 20 years, was all about either goops goops or powders that were being manipulated at a bench in the lab. And now now it's computers. I mean, does Ropes have the team that can handle the application of classic electrically engineered technologies in an environment that's modeled after a pharmaceutical company, a highly regulated industry producing a highly regulated product.
1: Oh, absolutely, Ed, yeah, and and historically, Ropes and Gray has really developed a strong practice in the biotech and broader life sciences space in general, and we've always been strong in tech as well, so to bring those two industry skill sets together uh, is something that's pretty easy for us to do with our tight-knit team. We have FDA regulatory lawyers that would work with clients like Genesis. Uh, we have IP lawyers that are specialized in thinking through issues, very much emerging issues about how to protect rights to AI type applications. We have licensing lawyers that specialize in the convergence of those two spaces. Um, and then our more general teams, including myself, you know, with experience in both industries and able to speak intelligently as a sort of outside general counsel to our emerging company clients, uh, including Genesis, which I had mentioned earlier.
0: Superb. All right. I cut you off. You were going to say data monetization. And I, and I do know that that's a big trend. I, I didn't know that it was a key trend for the venture community. So where, where do you see data monetization popping up in your practice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One area where we've seen this pop up is in hospital groups and health systems sitting on huge amounts of data, largely patient data, um, in knowing that there has to be a way to leverage that data more efficiently in order to drive better patient outcomes. Uh, so certainly very much another example of the convergence of two industries, healthcare on the one hand and tech on the other hand. A company called ProofSpring is another client of mine that is working with hospitals to use data by applying algorithms and, again, artificial intelligence to a certain extent to really optimize clinical trials, optimize treatments for patients, et cetera, and exploring different ways that that anonymous patient data can be gathered from hospital systems and used to improve outcomes in patient lives. Uh, That's been a really interesting client of mine and also brings up a number of Unique regulatory and other legal issues that we work with them closely on.
0: Interesting. When I think of that healthcare work, again, I think of that big institution, that big hospital. But what you're seeing is targeted startups that are moving into that space and and providing the products and the services that monetize the data.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, I I think one of the other nice things about Ropes and Gray more broadly and our venture and emerging company practice specifically is that. We are often able to actually help our emerging company clients make those types of connections because our practice is so deep uh, across larger industry players. You know, we're able to introduce our emerging company clients in many cases to hospital contacts, contacts in the biotech industry, investor contacts, et cetera. And, And that's a really nice feature of our practice that you might not see at other law firms as much, I think. And something that we really hope provides a lot of value add to our clients and in the tech space and more broadly.
0: Superb. All right. Well, as of two years ago, as of six months ago, really maybe nine months ago, digital assets and crypto were taking over the world. Of course, we've had a market collapse, uh, crypto winter. Uh, it, how are you seeing it in the venture? I, I had this impression that a year ago, people were clamoring to tokenize early-stage investments, to invest with crypto, get crypto out, and now less so? How, how, how have you seen crypto playing a role in the venture practice?
1: Sure. So there's still certainly a movement to tokenize investment-type securities. There's obviously an entire overlay of sec securities regulation that is at play there and rope spends a lot of time in this space we definitely want to keep apprised of developments in this regulatory space and it is of course a rapidly developing area i think in the next couple of years we're going to see entirely different sets of regulations that apply to the crypto and blockchain space more broadly Uh, but i am working with one client right now uh, in the intersection of uh, Web3 metaverse and, and a tokenization project where you know they're creating a company that is looking to create certain uh, tokens that would represent ownership interests and then turn around and have that company create assets that would exist within the metaverse uh, and sell those in the metaverse. So sort of seeing it on both sides. Um, I would say, as you mentioned, that there is a little bit less of a rush for the venture space more broadly to flip over to uh, tokenization of ownership interests in emerging companies more generally, but that's certainly something that folks are thinking about and will continue to think about. Um, And There's always going to be a pull towards finding a broader audience of investment, moving away Mm -hmm. from just the institutional VCs and in trying to make venture investments more broadly available to the public, or at least certain you know, areas of, of the public where folks are more able to make those kinds of high-risk investments. And I think that tokenization is certainly one path to doing that.
0: We're running out of time. I've got a couple quick questions. Some of them, I'm going to admit, they're a little bit silly. But I have one last thing on this tokenization question. So I, I think you're right that the move to digital assets and to tokenized securities unlocks a lot of liquidity a lot of buyers can now invest who candidly they didn't have the right phone numbers they weren't in the right meetings they were not in to invest earlier hear about the gamification of investment do do you think that that kind of broad-based dare i say it retail style of using digital assets to find market liquidity do you think that can work or do you think it inevitably leads to uh, you know, crazy market swings and and investment apps that are candidly video games.
1: You know, I do think it can work. I think that regulation has a place in that space. The reason for regulation yeah. is, is, of course, to protect the interests of the public, and we should be looking out for the interests of the public. For example, it would not be appropriate for. Someone who is on a relatively low income to be putting their entire life savings into an investment of that nature. But there should be a pathway to enabling an investment of that nature to a certain point within certain demographics that are financially able to take on the risk and have a better chance of understanding the risk. I think once the regulations solidify a bit more in the coming years, that we'll see real growth, a real explosion of growth in that space. And we will be reaching a much broader audience of potential investment and potential interaction with digital assets.
0: All right. All right. We have just like a minute left. All right, Brad, here we go. Favorite sport or hobby?
1: Well, I'd have to say skiing. I grew up outside of Boston skiing up North in New Hampshire. Uh, And as soon as uh, my parents could take me out West, I, dug my heels right into it and ended up going out and being a ski instructor out west for a couple of years after I graduated from college, which is where I met my wife. So the trip had more benefits than just the skiing. Uh, and certainly it's something that I still love doing and, and do whenever I can now.
0: So so you and your wife at one point were ski professionals?
1: That's right. We were both ski instructors wow. at Vail for a couple of years. together.
0: favorite book, favorite movie
1: favorite book, a movie. Let's see. So I, I love the master and commander, the Aubrey maturin series, which I guess happens yeah. to check the box for both book or movie. So there you go. It does. My it does. To, to both. All right. And,
0: <laughs> and in that book, do you think you are more like Aubrey, the swashbuckling captain, or more like Maturin, the curmudgeonly, uh, uh, scientist?
1: Oh, I think it's definitely got to be uh, Maturin. He's, he's also a spy yeah. in addition to being a <laughs> scientist.
0: So
1: I guess maybe there's a little <laughs> bit of me that uh, associates with that, we'll say.
0: Okay, there, there you go. All right, last question. And, and this, is, this is the uh, – I'm stealing this question from an ESPN interview. Which is more important in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, the peanut butter or the jelly, and why?
1: Ooh, that is a good question. That is a good question. I'd have to say it's the peanut butter, but the caveat there is that it has to be crunchy peanut butter if it's in my peanut butter and deli sandwich. I think that is the key to the texture of that, that whole sandwich, and without it, I just wouldn't even want uh, I wouldn't want
0: Interesting. PB&J. So a PB&J, it's, it's about the way it feels. Brad, it's been great having you on the podcast I also want to thank our audience and our listeners for following us through. As with all of our other RG Tech Studio podcasts, this edition will be available up on the Ropes and Gray RG Tech Studio webpage and through every place else that podcasts are made available. Thanks so much.